This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome to the show. We're on episode number 13. Lucky number, number 13, Brian. Number 13. <laughs> yeah, we've been we've been doing a baker's dozen of shows. Wow. In my experience, <laughs> there's no such thing as luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all skill, right? So, yep, we've made it this far. Thank you for tuning in. You know, I hate to start the show on somewhat of a downer note, but I have to say, I think... Bitcoin is getting past the peak of hipsterdom. Like it's not, it's one of those things where people are finding out about it and it's not cool anymore. Yeah, I I think that's, you know, this is something that happens. I think it's fair to say it happens to every kind of, uh, uh, you know, cultural phenomenon. Yeah. And Bitcoin is that. Bitcoin is so much. In fact, there's a quote that I love where it's like, how do you define, you know, is Bitcoin a currency or is it property? And, you know, that's like asking a computer, is it a telephone or, or a typewriter? <laughs> you, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, like you, you can't define it. And so it's a phenomenon, no doubt about it. And, uh, and I think this, this happens. But I guess to say that it moved out of the realm of hipsterdom or that it moved into the mainstream, I guess this was something that the Bitcoin has been billed as being new. You know, like this is the future. This is really where we're going. And so for it to just become a part of the mainstream, to become part of parlance, uh, really makes me feel like, yeah, I guess this isn't that new after all. Yeah, I mean, is it a personality type that's just attracted to things because nobody else knows about them that wants to that wants to think like, well, I know something you don't know or <laughs> whatever? Yeah. Sometimes I think it, it might be, but at the same time, I don't know, I just, I've, I've felt like, and this is getting a little personal here, but... I felt like the wind has been taken out of my sails a little bit about Bitcoin recently. Yeah. After getting back from this big spate of conferences in April, um, it just it, it's starting to, you know, not be as fun. You know, yeah. <laughs> Wall Street is all over it. You know, all these people, everybody's starting a company. Everybody's going to raise a billion dollars to start the next Bitcoin gadget or whatever. Sure. And I'm just I feel like I'm just kind of over it i don't know yeah and i understand like your person that you're talking about personality types like the hipster and whichever and like i get that but the thing is is that you know why hasn't anarchy caught on why hasn't a stateless society caught on because if that happened and that went mainstream i don't think anybody would care because it'd be like oh whew, people have, you know people have stopped killing each other around the world <laughs> you, you know what i mean and mass and so that's the thing is that since bitcoin can be accepted by the mainstream i guess it's not really the future <laughs> I, it might be the future. It's and part lots, of it. Lots of things. Okay, p- computing, c- smartphones, that's all mainstream, and it's all the future. Or at least it was the future years ago. I don't even know what I'm saying. But like, <laughs> there are lots of things that have become mainstream, and they're still carrying things forward and, and futuristic and so forth. And Bitcoin still has a lot of potential for that, but it just it's not the same as a couple of years ago when it was like, yeah, hey, there's this like state stateless free market currency that's gonna set people free all over the world. Now when people talk about Bitcoin, they're like, yeah, like 
buy things online and get get a bunch of venture capital money for your Bitcoin company and oh, things like that. that. That's the worst too. Is that startup culture has totally taken over the Bitcoin space? Uh, because a, yeah, there is a definite culture. It seems. Yeah, and and that's the worst culture I, I think on planet Earth. I, I all all this. It, no, it really is. It's pretty harsh. Not, well, I mean, because it's useless. Like these these people are literally building companies. Not under the auspices of trying to, uh, f- you know, find a niche or fill a need that people have, but they're doing it under the idea that I'll get bought out. I think okay. some people are trying to provide a service. Some. 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 Not all. Yeah. Yeah. Some uh, people a, definitely a scant, just... A scant few, and I think that they're finding a hard time getting funded. <sighs> Is principle incompatible with, you know, having a company? I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe. But I just feel like... I just feel like lately, you know, you had an email that you got from a listener, I think, sometime where they said this happens with every community. Yes. You know, it starts out very small and it's all like it's all sunshine and roses. And then gradually it kind of gets infiltrated by uh, not just like newbies who don't have a clue and they're not even that bad, but like federal agents and like people who are all asking for regulations and sure. um, people who kind of distort, distort what it was originally about and, you know, try to make it for their own purposes. And right. I, I don't know. I see some of that going on in Bitcoin. I, do you feel the same way? Like a lot of people that we talk to, I think off the air or on the air have expressed something kind of similar, you know, a lot of yeah. the, at, at least a lot of the, uh, the people who have been, around for a while in the bitcoin community or people who are maybe libertarians or of, of that ilk of yeah, that mindset i i've heard similar sentiment uh i mean there's the issue of it like you know some people bought a lot of bitcoins early on and now they are acting uh like their true selves now that they're wealthy now that they're well to do they're you know suddenly the real person's coming out and you find out that they're not necessarily so peace loving they just want to scam everybody like everybody else and you know be a part of the are system are they even that wealthy now i'm bitcoins at 400 dollars. Eh, <laughs> if you got enough you got enough i suppose yeah i suppose so that's true. I, I mean it's just it's it's unfortunate and then then there's a real movement i feel to to kind of quash anything that isn't bitcoin but is still cryptocurrency or crypto platform and that's annoying too because i mean how different are you from governments then how different are you from the federal reserve from saying no this is the only legal tender and so you have this attitude that's that's like cropping up out of nowhere but is that why okay is is are people searching for community among altcoins and among other platforms other crypto platforms you know what I mean? Is that why Ethereum meetups are so popular? Like, I get people are excited about Ethereum, but like, are they going to the meetups because they want to hang out with other people who are in this small community well, starting out? Ethereum's an interesting case, but I don't know if that's the best one to bring up. Or Doge, up. pick a pick a sure. thing. Yeah, know? I mean, any any other cryptocurrency. I think yes, people are going there. I don't think they're looking for community. I think they're looking for freedom. Maybe it's freedom of expression, and that's what communities are partly for. Mm-hmm. Okay, and some support. But why are they running then to altcoins? Because they're not getting either of those in the Bitcoin space. You know, they're not getting freedom of expression because if you have an idea that, oh, no, well, we got to have SEC compliance. No, we don't. Well, I don't want to deal with you then. You know what I mean? Like that, that's kind of the attitude going around or freedom of, you know, freedom of ideas or just all kinds of things. I think that's or even like real innovation. You know, how much innovation are, are we really seeing at a lot of these conferences? I, you know, I had a friend say recently that he thinks that 
things feel kind of quiet in the Bitcoin space right now because there have been so many conferences lately, but now everyone who's actually being productive is working. Like, they, like people have to work. They can't just go to these conferences all the time. No, right. They have to actually do something, and they're working on their products, and they're they're kind of in hiding because they're working on stuff. And then the people who don't really work on anything are kind of like, well, what do we do now? You know? Yeah, I mean, like, all right, there's good stuff going on, like Dark Wallet. I'm mm-hmm. glad those guys are, are to work. There's you, a lot you know of great I mean? stuff going on, and some of it we don't even know about, I'm sure. Well, but that's the thing, is that the stuff that actually needs real funding, nobody knows, is out there. I agree with this wholeheartedly, is that the best, the best minds in the world don't have college degrees. Okay, the best minds in the world probably can't talk very well. The best minds in the world, the only thing you can find them by is solder smoke coming out of wherever they happen to be living and really i think it's true the best code is coming out of people that you have no idea are doing it okay and so yeah i think you're right that that's out there and we don't know about it and i'm glad you know to some degree about that but that raises the point is don't get too excited about 99 percent of what's going on in the bitcoin space right now in my opinion at least i don't get excited Mm. Yeah, you wonder. I mean, I don't. I don't quite have the pers- the same perspective of seeing the rise of the internet. Because I mean, I saw I saw the rise of the internet, but I was pretty young when that mm-hmm. happened. So I didn't. I wasn't going to parties in Silicon Valley or anything like right. that. But I'm sure it was the same way, where there were a lot of things that went bust, you oh, know, yeah. and there were a lot of things that fizzles out, and there was a lot of hype, you know, yeah, around things that but, didn't really turn into much, you know? Sure. No, I mean, I was really involved in that space at the time, even though I was very young. Um, but this is the this is the point, is that the things that were actually doing real innovation that weren't part of the status quo, that weren't just like uh, giving you a better gardening experience online or something like that, things that were really changing what everything. you garden online? Well, I mean, you sell like, okay, you know, yes. just whatever some stupid dot com yeah, right. business was doing. But the people that actually came up with something new that really pushed uh, society culture forward lived on, moved on that, you know, it, yeah, the blow hit with, you know, in two, in 99 to 2001, but they kept on going and they're still with us today. Uh, a lot of them. So, you know, that that's the thing is that you got to look for what's actually thinking really, really forward. Who's really taking the big risks as to where so much of the bitcoin space right now just feels very very safe in their business models Hmm. well i mean time is going to tell if history kind of repeats itself in that way but man you know things are so much cooler when nobody knows about them right isn't that always the case (laughs) well because then we thought it was ours and it could help set us all free but now we're like oh it's not ours anymore i'm halfway being facetious about that and kind of making fun of myself a little bit too but i mean you get the idea there is sort of some sense of that that i feel anyway um so you know i I still love bitcoin i I love bitcoin too i just you know Lately, it's been interesting. So, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) there has been. Speaking of Bitcoin going mainstream, there has been um, a very interesting survey that I want to talk about. And then we probably won't talk too much more about Bitcoin on this particular show. But um, there was a study that came out from the Bitcoin Investment Trust. This was they talked to people in Silicon Valley about Bitcoin, and they surveyed a thousand people this was between january and february of this year so they took a couple months to tabulate it probably okay oh so they talked to people on wall street silicon valley and the bitcoin community 
wherever that that may have been. I don't know how they found these people, but um, that was their methods section. It's an infographic. What do you want? It's not really like a peer-reviewed <laughs> scientific study, but um, but the results are interesting. They asked people, okay, when did you uh, first hear about Bitcoin, and where did you first hear about Bitcoin? And interestingly, you know. 30% of the people that they talked to said they heard about it in like 2009 to 2011. So I would say that's the super early days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 22% said 2012 and 45% said 2013. So probably, you know, every time there's a massive price increase, uh, whether it's a chicken or egg situation, there's a lot of publicity that comes out of that. And people hear about it because of those um, the media coverage. Right. Um, and where did people hear about Bitcoin? Well, most people heard about it online, blog or social media site. But about 20% of people said that they heard about it from like a friend or family member. Well, that's how, that's how something, quote unquote, should grow. Um, I mean, that's the word of mouth is how everything happens. You know, you yeah. take, I mean, this isn't just in business. This is almost in everything. Uh, you take... Christianity, <laughs> you take, uh, you know, that was word of mouth in its day. Mm. Uh, you take tight the movie Titanic, you know, the movie Titanic didn't get a whole, it got some press, but not a big deal. But there's people word of mouth saying, no, you look, you got to see this. I'll take you. And then, and, and, you know, and you'd end up going seven, 10, 11, 30 times. Some people said, mm. so yeah, word of mouth, building up the slow build of an audience is really how you make something that lasts. You know, I think it's a good idea for them to study or for somebody yeah. to study how do people find out about Bitcoin because that's important to know if we want to spread the word about it. Listen to this one. Nearly half of people who learned about Bitcoin for the first time found it intellectually interesting. And I would say that I, I found it intellectually yeah. interesting when I first yeah, heard I about concur. it too. Yeah. Uh, of, of those people who found it interesting, 66% were likely to purchase Bitcoins. So... If they were interested, it had the interest of their wallet. So people are putting their money where their mouth is for the most part. That's comforting. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. I mean, if you hear about something that you think is interesting, are you 66% likely to buy it? Not me. I mean, oh, I, I hear yeah. about a lot of stuff that I think is interesting, but I don't go out and buy it, you know? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> so I, I thought that was pretty phenomenal. 30% of people who heard about Bitcoin for the first time thought it was confusing or would never be adopted, but over time, uh, but 44% of those still purchase Bitcoins. Even if they thought it was confused, the people who found it confusing or thought it would never go anywhere, almost half of them still bought Bitcoins. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, actually, that, that's that's great uh, investment sense. You know, I, I say it all the time, throw $100 at anything. You know yeah. what I mean? And if, that's, if that was the thought process that led them to doing that, cool. I... Yeah, I get. I mean, have you ever invested in something that you disagreed with or you thought was like a terrible idea, but you thought it was going to become really popular, so you invested in it anyway? Uh, I want to say yes, but I'll say no. <laughs> Why do you want to <laughs> say yes? Well, because I've invested in things that I knew were government-backed, and mm -hmm. I totally disagree with anything government-backed. But mm, So you have. But at the same time, you know, there there was certainly a lot of money to be made, but then there is no other... Th yeah, there was maybe no they private just, solution to what I would have been investing in. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe they were thinking along the same lines. However, upon learning more about Bitcoin, of this, you know, this segment of people, the, the one third of people who thought this is confusing, this is never going to go anywhere. Upon learning more about Bitcoin, 83% of them, that's the vast majority, changed their mind and held more positive views about Bitcoin after they learned about it. Well, you, you've taught uh, at a lot of conferences. You've done like the intro, intro to Bitcoin yeah. shtick, essentially. And you always hook everybody. And not just at a conference, or I mean, not just uh, in an official 
you know, gathering of some kind, but wherever. And you just, you say, here, let me give you your first Bitcoins. And when they see it happen and they see the transaction happen, they're always instantly hooked. You get them every time. Everybody loves free money. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think like seeing the, seeing that happen, I'm not going to say seeing the magic happen because it is not magic. It's science. It's magic internet money. <laughs> seeing that happen and demystifying it. It's like, oh, that's all you do. You just whip out your phone and take a picture of a QR code and get someone's Bitcoin address and hit send and that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think people get impressed not over the magic of the technology, but just over the fact that, wait a minute, I didn't have to show my ID. I didn't have to get a bank account. I didn't have to, you know what I mean? I didn't have to go through this, 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 this. I think that's what really hits them. Not mm. the fact that something was so quickly sent over the internet, but the fact that they had money in an account essentially so fast. Yeah. You know, in almost no time and no identity required and all this stuff. And I think it it plays in people's heads and it just goes, hey, yeah, this is how things are supposed to be. Yeah, it just kind of clicks. Yeah. That's what happened for me the first time I used it, for sure. sure. I was like, what? You're telling me I can just send these little things and it's money and I don't have to give anybody my driver's license. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't have to ask anyone's permission. Wee, that's great. Uh, <laughs> um this is an interesting thing. So, I mean, that was what we just talked about. That was like the takeaway that a lot of people were summarizing this whole study as. Like, basically, a lot of people are skeptical of Bitcoin when they learn about it, but it's just because they're not educated about it. And once they find out more, then they start to feel more comfortable with it. And actually, the next statistic kind of backs that up. Out of these skeptical one third of people or the people who are confused by it, once they found out more, 68% of them now believed that it would change the world or solve a real problem and that's pretty cool that's great and so they're catching the vision yeah absolutely and it, and it may end up doing both i think it's already kind of solved a problem. i think it has yeah, yeah i think it has already absolutely so you know there's some more um there's some more statistics in this infographic we can link it from our show notes but that was the main takeaway it's just you know people do fear the unknown but once they start to know more then they can really catch fire with an idea. Yeah, or an idea can catch fire in their mind and not they're catching fire. <laughs> the idea is catching fire. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Please, we don't want anyone to get burns on this yeah, show. <laughs> no, no, not, not at all. Yeah, no, that is, it's good. And it's good that, uh, that really Bitcoin has seemingly gotten to the point where, you know, a person can see it in action and, and kind of understand what's going on or at least recognize enough of that, hey, this is pretty cool. Mm. And the last thing we'll say about this is 66% of all respondents plan to purchase Bitcoins in 2014. So uh, if you take a thousand that... people on Wall Street and Silicon Valley, two thirds of them plan to buy Bitcoins this year. That was before the IRS is ruling. But uh, yes, uh, you yeah, know, I, I think that number may have changed. <laughs> it would be interesting because this survey was done in the height of the price peak. Yeah. It, peak to date, you know, in mm -hmm. the January realm when Bitcoin was hovering, you know, above a thousand dollars, right? Or, or right. around a thousand dollars, nine fifty, a thousand, something like that. So, you know, if they're planning to buy it when it's at that level, are they waiting until it drops? Are they buying it now that it's at 400? I don't yeah, know. I can't see it dropping much lower than now. So 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, we don't know what it's going to do, but it's so fascinating to see what people say. We've always made fun of the people who, who claimed when Bitcoin was too high that they were waiting for it to go down so they could buy. And now that it's down, they're like, Bitcoin's dead. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Nobody exactly. buys. Sell all your Bitcoins. <laughs> oh, there's always people saying silly stuff. But speaking of silly stuff, we've got more of it to say ourselves. So we'll be back with more. This is Sex and Science Hour. Oh, Brian, we always have so much fun having sex and science hour together on Thursday nights. But can you believe it? This is not the only thing that we do. Yeah, we actually have other shows. Like your podcast, Sovereign Tech. That's a good show. I listen to it every week. Well, I am the producer, but I would listen to it every week, even if I wasn't the producer. <laughs> yeah, well, and people might know you from Let's Talk Bitcoin, might being the operative term. Yep, yep. And in case you don't get enough of me and Brian together on Sex and Science Hour, you can even hear us together on Sunday nights on nationally syndicated radio, hosting Free Talk Live. Wow, we really do a lot of podcasts. Yeah, well, speaking of which, I think we've got another podcast to finish up right now, so we should probably get back to it. But you can subscribe to Sovereign Tech at sovryntech.com, Let's Talk Bitcoin at letstalkbitcoin.com, and Free Talk Live at freetalklive.com. Now back to Sex and Science Hour. This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome back to the show. We're in our second segment here. Second segment of Sex and Science Hour. Yeah, that's a little bit of a tongue twister. Or a vocal warm-up, we should say. Yeah, I like that we'll vocal turn it into a positive thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Brian, there is a bacteria, a strain of bacteria that's been discovered... Shall we call it a gold bug? I think that a might gold be. Gold bug? Yeah, a gold bug. This is clever. <laughs> I, nobody has said that yet, or at least I haven't heard it. Maybe they have, but uh, <laughs> I just came up with that. But this is a bacteria that literally, it takes gold chloride, which is a toxic salt of gold that's found in some, I think it's found in the ocean, actually. Okay. And maybe in some rivers, or maybe it's an industrial product or something like that. Uh -huh. um, but it's it's uh, it's toxic to most organisms, but there's the strain of bacteria that takes gold chloride and separates out the chlorine, probably chlorine gas, Okay. and separates the gold metal. So what it so does, it's making, it's making nuggets gold. of gold out of gold chloride. Ooh. Yeah. So that's pretty cool because... Where's your scarcity now? <laughs> <laughs> As I understand it, like there were a lot of um, pretty toxic chemically processes to extract gold from solution before. Like people would use cyanide. I think cyanide was one of the compounds that you can use to kind of get pick gold out of solution and mm -hmm. make salts out of it and then eventually turn it into gold um, gold metal with right. nuggets or whatever. Um, but yeah, this bacteria does it in a natural biological reaction. And of course, nature is very efficient. You know, like a lot of the most efficient chemical reactions are catalyzed by biological enzymes. Right. And so using bacteria to do that work for you is sometimes a great way to accomplish difficult chemical reactions that might need like, you know, environmental pollutants or whatever, you know, just expensive chemicals to do otherwise yeah i mean certainly you know gold for a few years now has been able to have been produced in a lab mm -hmm. uh, it's been done granted it comes at extreme cost of everything cost mm -hmm. of energy materials the whole business you know it's really not practical but it's been possible but you know now if you have a biological you know way of doing that that's just so simple oh boy talk about 
changing everything. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of Diamonds. Yeah, well, that's uh, something that a couple of people have commented on. That was like the first comment on this article here that I've got from Gizmodo. Um, Somebody said, anyone who thinks this is going to destroy the gold market must not have heard of these things called man-made diamonds, which, as we all know, have completely wiped out the diamond market. Well, no, they haven't. And he's obviously being sarcastic or she. Um, So, but what were your thoughts about that? Well, that's the thing is that it's true that the diamond, even though we we can make diamonds now pretty easily at that, as as I understand it. Uh, I wouldn't say easily, but I mean, it's probably easier easier than than people dying in mines to dig them out of the ground. Easier than blood diamonds. And... You know, so you have you have that ability, and yes, but people are still. This is interesting because this is really you know this is an old economic uh, uh, problem called you know diamonds and water. You know, humans don't need diamonds, but they need water. But water means nothing to them, and diamonds mean everything. You know, and of course, you know what's the the answer to that is that value is subjective. But this is the thing: is that go ahead. If, oh, I was just thinking scarcity. You know, like if you were thirsty, you wouldn't really you can't drink a diamond, so. But we're not usually in that situation. No, right, People who want diamonds aren't usually so thirsty that they're desperate for water. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, scarcity is not even an issue in, in you know, in the order of those two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's a matter of ut- utility. It's a matter of use. What about salt? I mean, salt is something that, you know, is not scarce. It just takes a little work to extract it from the ocean. But it used to be super, val- like people used to get paid in salt, right? Well, salt's important considering where the world kind of you know, where life started to some mm-hmm. degree, or at least where civilization started. Salt is a necessity of, of living. Uh, a lot of religions, in fact, even consider salt as, you know, as important as the religious texts. Mm-hmm. That's how big of a deal salt is, you know, was to life, uh, you know, just, just a couple thousand years ago, if, if not even sooner. Um, but now you can get it for free. <laughs> right. But, but my point is, is that people are being told a lie. Okay. Like with gold. People are being told a lot of lies. Oh, they're being told a ton, but this one's really bad because like diamonds, there's no need to spend thousands of dollars on a diamond. It's all, it's all like this, 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 you know, made up prestige. I cannot tell the difference between a QZ and a clear topaz and a diamond. No, no, no. It's not. Yeah, it's crap. It really is. I mean, look, I love opulence. I like excess. I can get behind all of that. But it's really nonsense. And that if we can make, you know, the idea is that if gold, you know, suddenly wasn't scarce anymore, believe me, people would still treat it as the gold standard. People would still want to wear gold jewelry. They'd still want, you know, all all this, all this crap. Do you think there would be like a natural gold thing? Like, because the diamond company, the people who market diamonds, you know, De Beers and all them, there's a lot of documentaries about how they did this brilliant marketing scheme that's all diamonds are as a marketing scheme yeah but it's continued like now it's like well it's not good enough to have a lab grown diamond those aren't as valuable you need a natural diamond that somebody dug out of the ground yeah preferably with a spoon or something like yeah you need to be wearing blood sweat and tears on your hand okay (laughs) yeah it's just weird it's like why wouldn't you save the human suffering if you possibly could you know what I mean? Yeah, you'd think that would be the more ethically sound, or that would be the more um, attractive. Yeah, but people still want natural diamonds. Like, there's this, there's even this stuff surrounding it where, like, well, the flaws make it more beautiful, or whatever, and I just, I don't understand oh, why. Oh, that's, that's such nonsense. Okay, people say the same thing about, like, stoneware. It's like, oh, yeah, I like to see the bubbles in the glass, because that way I know it was really made in Mexico. 
Look, if you're trying to be classy, the people that defined modern terms of class did not want to see a single imperfection, okay? You buy a Rolls-Royce ghost from the 19, you know, from the early 1900s, okay? Like 1912, you know, whatever, that early time frame. You wanted, you know, you wanted to see absolute perfection. You did not want to see imperfections. And that's the point. This is all marketing lies. You know, it's, it, there's no value is totally subjective and all people have to do is say, you know what? Okay. That's great. That gold works well in electronics. I don't care. (laughs) You know, I just don't care. But, but someone's going to come out there and say, oh no, you know, some celebrity that people look up to for having no talent whatsoever, like Kim Kardashian. Okay. And well, what? She was born into a family. I mean, that, that's her, that's her claim to fame. (laughs) I, yeah, I guess. I mean, come on. So anyway, uh, you know, they're going to see some celebrity wearing it. Okay. And then they're going to be like, oh, I, I have to have it because I got to live up to that standard. What standard? Who? <sighs> yeah, I, I know. I know. Why do we let other people define what we aspire to? I'm not exactly sure. About yeah, that. I, I don't know. But but yeah, like, are people going to be saying, well, we need natural gold. Your natural gold is different than this man-made bacterial made stuff you know it's working great for you the want to be wearing movement. bacterial poo on your wrist i don't <laughs> think so you want natural gold you know like, yeah no, i can I, just picture the advertising now and it, i think it'll be it, it's just bon- i mean apparently there's a lot of gold on asteroids and gold in space which if we could somehow harvest that which that technology is probably not too far off there would be way. more gold than is ever found on earth you know yeah. so you're right value is subjective and the so-called you know everybody th- thought uh you know g- gold is going to stand the test of time the scarcity is uh, untouchable well if a, if a gold-laden asteroid were to crash to earth probably that might disrupt things a little bit huh yeah, well, it disrupt a whole lot of things, but certainly if suddenly a great big well, deposit, yeah, yeah but, <laughs> that might it, be the least of our problems. But I yeah. think this raises the diamond thing raises a great point because if suddenly a whole ton of gold was found, believe me, the bulk of people on planet Earth would still consider it the greatest damned element out there. Somebody would probably try to hide it too. You know, they oh, would sure. they would try to suppress that information. But you know, with with Bitcoin, you can't like the blockchain is out there, and the you know maybe you don't know who has all the bitcoins, but you can see where the bitcoins are, which addresses they're in, and you know how many bitcoins are out there for the most part. I mean, I suppose you don't know how many bitcoins are like trapped in addresses where there's no private key so they could never be moved, but that would only make, you know, that would only drive the value of bitcoins up because there's less than you think there are. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I gave a talk at a conference, uh, kind of an infamous talk where I, you know, called his bitcoin more real than gold. Mm-hmm. And that was my whole point was that, or one of the points I made is that guess what? Bitcoin will always be scarce. You know, I mean, if a hacker hacks it, that's a fork that, uh, you, you know, they, they can't, you just, you can't make more Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unless everybody agrees upon it, you know, doing so. Um, then it wouldn't be Bitcoin. Right. But gold has already at the time of the talk, this is before this, you know, the, this, this biological solution came out, uh, gold already has been hacked. It's not scarce. And I, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, I know. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing to bring, what, bring yeah. up. You know what else is scarce? Freedom. Wow, <laughs> that's boy. What, that's what we talk about talk a lot. Talk about priceless. A lot on this show. I saw a really interesting article. This was actually shared by our friend Claire on Facebook, and I found it there. And this is, you know, we've been talking a lot about the show recently about government's kind of crushing innovation and squishing entrepreneurs like bugs under their boots. (laughs) And this 
is an example of a technology startup company that I was actually following uh, for quite a while that has been exactly a victim of that situation. They have been squashed by the government. And these guys, like, there's these two guys, okay, Evan Bear and Will Davis. These are like Capitol Hill, like, brown noser. I mean, like, I don't want to call them brown nosers, but like, they worked in government for a while. And they were like staffers to politicians and stuff like that. And they were totally in the system. They were just cozying up to all these politicians. And then they had an idea. And it's a great idea. And their idea was they were going to make a deal with the post office to um, take people's mail and digitize it. So instead of people receiving a bunch of paper mail at their physical address, which is so last century... (laughs) They were going to take it and scan the important pieces of mail and chuck the junk mail, which everybody does anyway. We just all do it ourselves. This would just be subcontracting that service out to someone else or that that task out to someone else and paying them a little fee for it. Right. So at first, this went pretty well for them. Like they were able to do it in Austin and they got all this funding and they started a company and they got, you know, they got a lot of attention. But then once it started to become popular, basically they got called to Washington, D.C. for a meeting with the Postmaster General and they were like, whoa, 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 you can't be doing this. Well, actually, okay, so this is what Evan and Will claim was said during this meeting in Washington, D.C. They claim that the Postmaster General said, look, our customers are not really the people. They're the junk mail companies and we can't we're not serving our customers by allowing your service to happen. So we're not going to let you take the mail from people's we're not going to let you receive people's mail anymore. Basically, we're not going to cooperate with you. And we're you know, we're going to have to put the kibosh on your business. Right. Now, the post office PR people claim that that did not happen. And, you know, this article from insidesources.com, you know, kind of presents both sides of it. But this is what these entrepreneurs say. And why would they make it up? I mean, they say that they got called into this meeting and the post office was like, no, this cannot fly. You can't have a company where you digitize people's mail because we have a mission to keep the mail going. And we want to keep delivering physical mail to people, including spam and junk mail. Well, you know, <laughs> they pay for yeah, it. And in fact, I mean, this is this is history repeating itself uh, because. Oh, Lysander Spooner, right? Which. Oh, he, well, OK. Lysander Spooner was this old timey well, anarchist yeah. with a neck beard who tried to <laughs> who tried to start, <laughs> who said the Constitution e- either enables all the tyranny we have or was powerless to prevent it, by the way. Great, great yeah, idea. Great quote. <laughs> but he tried to start a, uh, a a mail delivery service to compete with the government post office right and he got you know they enacted all these laws to shut him out of business so that's why i said it was history of being itself no well in that case it is too but that's not what i was thinking but most people don't know is that the idea of email of digital mail has been around since the 60s uh, in fact, uh, it was Ron Thornton, I think in 72, mm-hmm. uh, he was, he, you know, he pretty much was the father of, of, you know, of email as we know it for ARPANET and whatever. And it was given, it was shown to the post office saying, look, this is the future. This is what we can do. And the post office said, no, now, of I mean, course they, they did. Yeah, I mean, of people, course don't, they did. people don't get this is that like, look, these government organizations that don't, that feel they don't have to worry about getting paid. You know, even though the the post office is kind of a quasi, it's, it's like half yeah, semi governmental, yeah, private in name only. They're they're guaranteed quite a bit from the government, so they they feel that they can you know 
just do what they do forever. I don't forever. think they can really make changes in the organization without like acts of Congress. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, but bottom line is, is that government squashed. We could have had email for 50 years now. <laughs> Wow. We really could have. And, you know, it just it didn't happen until the 90s, you know, and maybe like in the in the late 80s, it started to pick up in various businesses. Wow. But the post office themselves were the ones that kept it from getting put out there. I mean, who who needs paper mail? Any like aside from getting stuff delivered to your house, like mm-hmm. we do a good amount of shopping on Amazon. Right. And of course, we have this Amazon affiliate link for our show, Sex and Science Hour. Sure. But like you know it's useful to receive items that you need to live delivered but what use is it to receive like a a paper circular of coupons from local um grocery stores and things like that i just throw that stuff away and i feel bad throwing it away sometimes i want to save it just because i feel like i'm wasting paper but it's paper that i didn't ask for and i have to remind myself of that every single time because i start to feel guilty and i'm like wait a minute I didn't ask for these catalogs. <laughs> I didn't ask for these coupons. I didn't ask for this junk mail. I didn't ask for these postcards or these offers or the stop. Just well, stop sending it I to mean, me. This is the thing is that <laughs> once this stuff all goes digital, the post office becomes redundant, obsolete, obsolete, yeah. unnecessary. There you may know. be a few things that you might want paper mail for. I mean, well, checks or something that I think most people yeah. who listen to this show might agree that yeah. we don't need them anymore. Y- you might want that. But then there's a problem with having a controlling body in the mail space in the early 20th century if you were getting porn mailed to you guess what the postmaster general of the united states of america was burning that stuff oh and they were prosecuting people they were putting people in jail for receiving porn in their mail you weren't getting your mail baby sorry this is sex and science hour mail what is it good for there's more coming up Hey everybody, just wanted to take a minute out to say thank you so much. We received a couple of tips this week. We really appreciate your support and uh, hope you're having fun listening to the show. We also really appreciate it when our listeners shop through our Amazon affiliate links because it helps us make the show run and we also get to see what you bought because we're kind of creepy like that and we like to spy on you. Uh, (laughs) Don't worry, we can't see who bought it. We just see what was purchased. And oh, there was some interesting stuff going on in the kitchen this week, somebody was eating some hummus and turmeric. I don't know if they were eating them together, but they did purchase them through our Sex and Science Hour Amazon links. We've also got a flash drive. Hopefully that wasn't the spoon used to scoop it up. Uh, external hard drive, Spider-Man HD movie, a kid's game, Lego Legends of Chima, and a big black bag wonder what that's going to be used for we can only guess (laughs) but keep those items coming thank you so much for using the sex and science hour amazon affiliate links we really appreciate your support and now we're going to get right back into the show this is sex and science hour i did it again you did well. You know, hey, it's a tradition now. I know, I know. Wait, wait. If I tell you it's a tradition, you'll probably stop doing it because right. you're an anti-traditionalist. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's in my DNA. Yeah, exactly. It might be. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, have you ever, um, like, have you ever been in your life um, talking to a girl that you were interested in or a woman that you were interested in romantically, and at some point she realized that you were interested in her, and then she said, "Oh." I have a boyfriend, or she slipped it into conversation somehow. Does yes, that ever happen to you? actually, that has happened. Mm-hmm. 
What did you think of that when that happened? Uh, I could usually tell when the person was BSing me. So you think they didn't actually have a boyfriend? They just said that to get you to go away? Well, not to get me to go away, but I think that they were like very nervous themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think of like I wasn't being creepy. Uh, just I thought that they were, you know, they're very nervous and they didn't want it to go where my reputation preceded them to think it would go. Yeah. Um, I have definitely um, said this in the past. Sure. And, you know, I think I, I regret doing it now because as we're about to talk about there was a great blog post that i read this week and it's about hey ladies stop doing that you don't need to i think that's a great idea to stop doing that well and the reason is because you know if if you're a woman and there's a perhaps a guy or whoever is um hitting on you usually it's a guy i guess in conventional culture Mm -hmm. and he's hitting on you and he's putting the moves on and you're not interested it's okay to say hey I'm not interested in you or I'm not interested in whatever you have planned or, or yeah. whatever you, it looks like you're you're after. It's totally okay to do that. You don't like the the reason of I have a boyfriend shouldn't be the only thing that you can say to get someone to leave you alone. They should be leaving you alone if you say I'm not interested or if you indicate that you're not interested. Yeah, I agree completely. My only concern is is that we have a society, we have a culture set up where the man generally, I mean I guess it could be women too, but but where the man is taught by entertainment, by movies that if the woman says if she just says no, I'm not interested to grab onto the rails of a ferris wheel and say if you don't go out with me tomorrow i'm gonna jump oh yeah the notebook notebook, yeah but this is this is what's being told all the way around by society that this is what's romantic so being a sociopath is considered threatening suicide yeah, yeah is considered normal for wooing uh, you know, a, a potential oh, it's just what date. you have to do to get a girl to go out with you, Brian. You just got to be persistent. Yeah. So, but my point is, is that I don't blame a woman for saying, Hey, there's someone else in my life. You know, that way the guy just like kind of completely, completely backs off because if all she says, and this is all she should have to say, and I still support them just saying this, but if all she says is, no, I'm not, I'm not interested. Then to him, that is a societally enforced cue. It's not normal. It's a societally enforced, reinforced cue to, okay, uh, I need to buy her roses or I need to go do this. It's like, no, or man. I, I need to try to get her to break up with her boyfriend or <laughs> I need to try to get you separate yeah. them somehow or yeah. come between them. Like, yeah, I, I guess I've always thought in the situations in the past where I've, you know, have said that or re- and regretted it, mm-hmm. it, it almost, it's not very clear or straightforward because I've said it to people that I was not interested in ever. Right. Like, even if I didn't have, even if I wasn't dating someone else, even if I was, you know, a- attracted to men, I'm not attracted to you. I'm not interested in you. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I said, I have a boyfriend. Yeah. Or I have a significant other or whatever. And that's not very honest. You know, I think I, I think I could have. I owed myself a little more honesty there and the the other person a little more clarity because, you know, I'm not, it it doesn't matter whether I have a boyfriend or not, I'm not interested in them, you know, and they should be able to know that and move on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people just have to learn to accept rejection. You know, I know it's tough. I know it can hurt, 
uh, especially, you know, if you are basing, yeah, if you are basing your self-worth and evaluating yourself by another person's opinion, say the woman you're asking out or whatever, I understand when you hear no, that it just sounds like, oh, I, I must be wrong, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, this is just something we've got to get used to rejection and we need to be doing things intrinsically for our own desires and not to please somebody else. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think on the other side of it, we have to get used to being okay with saying no. Yeah. And and being okay with with saying um like with it being okay to honor our own uh, feelings and wishes and not worry about how the other person's going to feel when we reject them or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's something that a lot of people have trouble with because you know, there, there is so much in culture that says you have to be nice, especially it's a female gender role kind of thing. Oh, you got to be a people but pleaser. Men if you're probably a woman. get it a little bit too, but you know, it's largely a female gender role. You're supposed to be nice. Yeah, you're not supposed to make anybody feel bad. And when in reality, we all own our own feelings. We are responsible for you know for how we feel, and you know we can choose you know perhaps to be if someone rejects us we don't have to choose to wallow in it forever you know right or believe that they have some control over us and their that our happiness is dependent on them liking us it's not yeah our happiness is our own and that's a very empowering message does that make any sense yeah i absolutely i i totally agree yeah i just wanted to talk about that because i thought that was a interesting kind of um sex topic we'll link to the article in yeah. our show notes if you want to read the whole thing let's all be honest with each other and accept it yeah i i like that idea so um another <laughs> speaking of um i guess honesty and dating you found some study this week that i thought was kind of interesting there was some scientific in air quotes uh, study <laughs> showing that men prefer women with less makeup yeah, I, I thought this was this was pretty interesting. Now, I mean, I don't know how scientific of a study, you know, to, to the say quarterly that. Quarterly Journal of Experimental Psychology. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a, an expert in the psych realm. I don't know how good of yeah, a journal I mean, that is. But you know, sample size always comes into this stuff. Uh, you know, whatever. It but, certainly gets headlines. Yeah, though, but yeah. sure. But essentially, uh, you know, it was saying that 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 men prefer women that that wear less less makeup. Which is this about women? that they're interacting with in real life or is it about women that they're watching on a screen because to me it seems like you know whenever you watch a movie or you know you could say porn but any type of video there's people are just generally heavily made up yeah no this is with potential partners okay uh, generally i think was was the point of the of the uh study so but you know i i thought it was it was a good point i mean i've always myself i'm not a fan of makeup at all uh because look you know when i wake up when, you know, when we wake up the next day, you're not going to look like you did when you had all that makeup on, you know, or if, <laughs> yes. you, if you are, then we didn't have a very good night, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, this is, this is really interesting because this was actually done through photographs. Mm-hmm. So what the researchers did was they took a bunch of, you know, they gave a bunch of women, you know, different types of makeup and they told them to put on the makeup as if they were going to go out for the evening and have right. have a party or whatever. And they took a picture of the women, exact same conditions, but just with and without the makeup. And then they, you know, basically made a range of photographs with these different women, images of women wearing various amounts of makeup. And then they showed the pictures to some other, like some college students, I guess. This was probably all done with college students because... sure. 
a lot of psychological studies are done with college students because free labor. The, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> okay, when I was in college, I had a psychology professor where you could get extra credit if you participated in psychological research, and I mean it was just crap because everybody yeah. in the class did it, so we all got extra credit. So did that actually improve anyone's grade? I mean, no. Yeah, <laughs> you could say you'd be punished for not participating in psychological studies. So, and college students aren't necessarily reflective of people of all ages and different backgrounds that might not have gone to college or whatever but anyway this is who they did the study on just to be aware yeah Uh, so they showed you know these students the images of the women with and without makeup and the attractiveness ratings for the women with um less makeup was actually higher yeah I, i imagine so i mean that could have to do with natural beauty you know i don't know i mean i just think like i i find makeup Yes, I think it's a bit of a lie. Okay, now I want people to look like however they want to look like. So I'm not against people wearing makeup. It's just if it's preference. Yeah, it's kind of a lie. But also, it's a mess. Okay, it's an absolute mess. And believe me, I've been in situations that you would normally only see in a porn film. Okay? (laughs) And believe me, people were getting in showers. That makeup wasn't lasting long, no matter what. And that's why, you know, I'm reminded. This is so hilarious. You know, I'm reminded of, uh, what was it in the 90s? The Rainbow parties or oh yeah the, the religious people were claiming that there was these this craze that was sweeping the nation as yeah. rainbow parties where women go and put on a bunch of different colors of lipstick and then they all go down on a man and then you know at the end of the night he looks like a rainbow because he has all this lipstick on him this was some sick pastor's fantasy this this just doesn't <laughs> happen let me tell you in fact speaking of porn i've been on porn sets Okay, let me tell you how long that makeup, especially around as far as lipstick goes, stays on. About five minutes for the opening shoots where they take a good 90 shots, you know, that they can put up with the video or whatever. They do that. And then that, you know, in comes a guy, you know, with with a wet nap or whatever and is wiping that stuff off because it's going to look like the guy's got a, got bloody junk. <laughs> You know, if he has red or pink lipstick or whatever all over it, and it's going to go all over it because they're getting made up 10 minutes before the shoot. Mm. Okay. So this whole makeup thing, it's just, it's all crap. You know, (laughs) I mean, it's okay. If you want to wear it, it it makes you feel beautiful. If it gives, helps you with confidence, that's fine. I'm just saying that. Yeah. Some people like the, I I mean, I can't believe I'm defending it, but like some people like the artistic aspect of it. And yeah, yeah, I can see that, you know, sometimes it's fun to just dress and, up and yeah and especially kind of if you know if you're someone who's drag makeup is exactly. amazing that, oh my god that was can, the, exactly what i was going to bring up yeah you make a man look like a woman i mean there there are some talented makeup yeah. artists out there don't get me wrong yeah but you know maybe this is just a little bit of food for thought for people who feel like they need it like they can't leave the house without it because they're they're unacceptable as they look without makeup you know right but maybe that, you're yeah. not maybe you look great without it yeah that's that's my only point is that the perception that makeup is like so important and it's everywhere and, and the hot, all the hottest wear it is just not true. Okay, Brian. Well, we've got four minutes left in the show um, and I want to try to cover this last piece. This is like a fun, like a fun um, science piece. Okay. 10 scientifically proven ways to be happy. Ooh, I like the sound science of that. Science says so. <laughs> so who doesn't want to be happy, right? Everybody wants to be science happy. Science makes me happy. Yeah, science makes me happy, too. And I I want to believe these are scientific. I think they are. I think there's scientific evidence for these. Let's roll with them. And this is from Inc.com. Um, okay, so here's the first one. Exercise. That makes sense, right? That definitely makes you happy. There's been a lot of scientific studies about um, mood and exercise. I mean, actually, talking about depression, you know, people who have at least like mild 
or moderate depression. Yeah. Um, exercise is as effective as um, antidepressant, like pharmaceutical antidepressants in some studies. Yeah, I, I don't doubt it. Mild to moderate depression. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're such a lethargic society now uh, yeah. that, I mean, we, we used to be so active. Uh, in fact, I was reading a study th- this week that said that, you know, essentially humans, you know, even just, just 10,000, 15,000 years ago were monsters compared to what we are now. As far monsters? As, as far as, you know, size and strength and My all that. Goodness. Even women were, you know, like far more... Uh, Beastly. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of hot, really. Uh, yeah. And we're all walking around Amazon people. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's cool. I mean... And they were happy. They didn't off themselves, you know, to... I mean, we're here today, so I'd say they were pretty happy. Well, did you have time to worry about like depression when you were like running from a saber-toothed tiger all according the time. to anthropologists they had a lot more leisure time than we did yeah that's right the, there's a there's been a couple of studies that say it takes about 20 hours of work per week to gather enough food or to hunt and gather enough food for a, a hunter-gatherer kind of population right. so they had a lot of rest time they didn't they work five hours a day eh, not too i don't bad, know right? if they were resting but they were having a good time <laughs> Maybe you're romanticizing it a little bit, but we don't know what it was like, but it, it wasn't necessarily this dark, bad picture that sometimes gets painted. No, that's I don't for think sure. so. Yeah. Sleep more. That's another scientifically proven way to be happy. I completely agree with these first two, <laughs> yeah, first of all. Sleep is so key. Like every, I Talk about science. Almost every scientific study just says, look, we don't sleep enough anymore, you know, and, and sleep is so important yeah. to weight loss. And why to, does the medical profession not take that seriously? This is one of the reasons. I, people might not know this, but I went to med school for a couple of years and I decided I didn't want to continue with it. I mean, I did fine. I got yeah. great grades. I was going to be a doctor. I did get my PhD in biochemistry. That's why I'm Dr. Stephanie. But, you know, not a medical doctor, but I didn't want to do it. Oh, yeah. I, because I didn't want to deal with the extreme sleep deprivation yeah. and the, the other changes that come with your life when you go through that kind of medical training. Yeah. Oh, I was in the military, too. Same thing. And, and you know, you, oh, you're, you're yeah. only required four and a half hours of sleep. Really? You're only the guy with, with guns and with their hands on the trigger. Only four and a half hours of sleep. Are you kidding me? No. But fortunately, you and I are both out of those situations. Mm, yeah. And well, the we can... last tip here I want to talk about is get outside more. And speaking Absolutely. of which, I would love to go outside and look at the stars right now. Me so. too. Let's do that we're gonna have to say goodbye we will link to the rest of the article in our show notes thank you so much for tuning in to sex and science hour this has been a fun show i'm stephanie you're brian of course we'll see you next week you've just heard sex and science hour game over play again next week 